Are you curious about what it takes to build a group practice? Or maybe you're already a few practices in and you want to learn what you need to do to ensure your success. Make a point to join us in Fort Lauderdale on March 30th through April 1st for our pinnacle event called Scaling from Clinician to CEO. This event is built to bring you the in-depth educational resources to help you create success at this next phase of your journey. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more about the event itself and to see an overview of the agenda. We're limiting the event to 75 people and we expect it to sell out. So please register soon. We hope to see you in Fort Lauderdale on March 30th for Scaling from Clinician to CEO. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome to season two, episode eight of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, an episode we're titling Cash and Cash Reserves. You know my partner, DeWalker, loves talking about cash, cash flow, EBITDA, and a whole lot of other acronyms that I don't understand. So I've asked him to come behind the mic once again and give us a little bit of clarity. This will surely be a note-taking episode. So get your pad and pen ready through another cup of that wonderful Mila Espresso coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Well, welcome everyone once again to season two, episode eight of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. As I teased in the introduction, we are calling this one cash and cash reserves. We could call it all things cash. And if I'm going to talk about cash, I need to bring the master behind the microphone, my partner, DeWalker Sinha. DeWalker, thanks for joining us. You want to say hello to the audience? Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. He's a man of few words, obviously, and gets right to the point. So let's dig in today. If you're going to build a successful business of any sort, you have to have a fundamental foundational understanding of cash and cash flow. Cash, as we tell our clients and as we talk about on webinars and discovery days and and a lot of other stuff, cash is the only thing you can spend. It's literally the only thing that keeps the boat afloat. And it's incredibly important in building and scaling a group practice to have a fundamental understanding of cash and cash flow. It would seem readily apparent, but it's not. This is something that trips up a lot of people uh, with, I'll say, an alarming degree of regularity. So, DeWalker, let's just dive in from the top and talk about free cash flow. Let's talk about what is free cash flow, why it's important, and how to think about it as an operator. You want to take it from the top here? Uh, sure. Yes. I think uh, you know, when majority of our audience members are looking at their profit and loss statement, 
you know, you know, one may deduce that, you know, the net income line on their P&L is their, uh, you know, um, free cash flow. Um, and, you know, depending on your capital structure and your capital needs, that potentially could be the uh, free cash flow. But for a majority of people that are in and you know, have some kind of a debt uh, position on the business, might be spending money on capital expenditures, growing, um, adding labor costs, expanding. Free cash flow uh, is not going to be the number on the net income line. For one, depending on you know how you're working and how your relationship is with your CPA, you know majority of profit and loss statements that are prepared on a QuickBooks um, online or desktop or you know other uh, uh, accounting software, they traditionally don't show the debt payment on your profit and loss statement. Uh, they do not show the interest expense yet on the profit and loss statement, uh, unless a CPA is going in behind you and reconciling the interest statements from your credit cards or your loan payments uh, or any other lease payments that might be applicable to your business. So um, again, you know, it, you know, maybe the net income line might be your free cash flow, but for majority of the people that would not be the, not be an accurate statement. Free cash flow is, you know, you know, for, from our lens by definition, cash flow that you can reinvest in the business. Um, and uh, it may may distribute in the business, uh, and that typically is going to be, um, you know, uh, lower than EBITDA, then going to debt service. So, you know, let's say uh, we'll kind of identify or define EBITDA first. Um, you know, EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Um, and again, just you know, your CPA may or may not be reconciling the interest expense or depreciation in real time. But if you were looking at the financial statement at the end of the year, hopefully the majority of you uh, are receiving your uh, year-end uh, financial statements in the next probably two to four weeks. Uh, even if the tax returns are not being filed by March 15th, they might be an extension. I would encourage people to get some kind of a preliminary draft from their CPA. Uh, it does not have to be you know, uh, reconciled and all the adjustments in there, but I think some kind of a draft would be um, uh, a nice to have. Or, uh, especially if you're, you know, in a growing business environment. So you kind of go towards EBITDA, you go add back the interest appreciation amortization, and it kind of shows you where the EBITDA is. And then from there, you know, you kind of subtract, you know, your debt service, your loan payments. So, and and after that, that might be your free cash flow. That is money you can spend uh, to distribute to yourself, money you can spend to reinvest in the business, money you can spend to put into cash reserves. So, um, you know, that's, that's really what free cash flow is. Yeah. Um, you know, as you were talking, I, uh, um, uh, I, I was thinking that, you know, it, this happens a lot. I don't think we've talked about this on a, on a podcast, but so going back to your statement about CPAs compiling year end financials and recasting the numbers from an EBITDA context, um, which is different from net income. Um, I think it is critically important for our audience to to take a quick pause to say, in my quarterly financials or year-ending financials, am I getting an EBITDA calculation from my CPA and one that certainly takes into account normalizing doctor compensation if the business owner is working clinically or an administrative uh, rate, uh, salary rate 
if they're no longer working clinically and they're the CEO of the business, for example. Um, if you are not getting that type of a, um, a recast of your financials um, from an EBITDA context, it's really challenging for you to know what your business is worth. And I think it's um, incredibly important, especially this time of year, to uh, to revisit that with your accounting firm to, to make sure that you have a firm grasp on that. Um, that being said, uh, and that was just sort of like a side light because I don't I don't think we've ever talked about that on the podcast before, but I think it's a um, a perfectly appropriate time to bring it up. You know, when we're talking about the uses for cash, um, you hit on the three. And this is, you know, once you once you have um, uh, identified your free cash flow, the question is, what are we going to do with it? And there are three buckets that you need to to think through in that context. Um, one is distribution to to owners or owner of the business. One is uh, cash reserves, the rainy day fund, the fallback position for for you know flexibility in the future, and then the third is um, going to be reinvestment in the business, usually CapEx and some things like that to, to put the cash back to productive use, so to speak. And you really need to be in a discipline around all three of those. If, the, if your answer to that question is simply to distribute 100% of the available cash to the owner or owners, that's a really short-sighted decision that's going to hamstring your growth. Um, and, and to make matters worse, if your personal lifestyle is calibrated uh, or, or requires uh, 100% of the cash to be distributed out of the business so that you can fund your lifestyle, um, you're, you're building a house of cards at that point. Something's going to give and, and the goose is going to stop laying the golden eggs at some point. So um, let 2022 be the year you course correct on all of that. So let's go back to those three buckets to Walker. I mean, the one uh, th that is distributions to owners is fairly readily apparent, but let's talk through just a little bit the um, operating cash reserves, meaning the rainy day fund, the fallback position, um, versus the reinvestment in the business. How do we how do we think through that and maybe the entire bucket of free cash flow? How do you kind of how do you start to make um, individual buckets out of the big bucket there? Sure. Um, so. I mean, I think for solo or group, um, I think to the minimum you know, cash reserves, and I think we've talked about it in a previous podcast, um, is really going to be, there's two ways to solve for it. It's going to be 20% of revenue or assuming the business is running a 20% EBITDA, you know, it's going to be roughly around um, uh, three months of operating capital in reserves. And the, that's inclusive of, inclusive of owner compensation, clinical compensation, administrative compensation. So again, let's just say, you know, a business is doing about a million dollars in revenue. You know, you have um, $12 million in annual revenue. So, you know, by, you know, just by looking at that number, you know, 12 million times 0.2 would put us at $2.4 million in cash reserves. Um, and then... The other way to solve for it is, let's say, if you have a million dollars in revenue, you're running a 20% EBITDA, um, then your overhead's about $800,000, and three months of operating reserve is $2.4 million. So both ways, you kind of ideally get to the same outcome. Uh, the main thing being three months of operating reserves as capital. 
Um, and, um, you know, that's probably the higher end, assuming you're going down to 15%. Now, many of you guys may be thinking, okay, I'm not at, um, you know, 2.4 in cash reserves. I might be at 500,000 or a million dollars. And the rule of thumb that, you know, we use for looking at distribution is a third, a third, a third. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, let's say, for example, you know, you have a uh, $5 million revenue business, you have, you know, a uh, running a 20% EBITDA business. So you're at a million dollars in EBITDA on that $5 million in revenue. And the first question I would ask is, you know, what's the debt position of that business? And majority of uh, growing businesses will be anywhere from about $2 million to about $3 million in debt. Uh, in practice, operating debt exclusive of real estate debt on uh, a $5 million uh, revenue business. Uh, some may be more, some may be less, but on the average, it's going to be 2 to $3 million. So that leverage ratio we, we've kind of talked about in the past, about 2 to 3x in an in a, in a existing position. So let's say, for example, you know the business has a debt position of $3 million. Uh, so debt service on that is roughly going to be around $30,000 a month to $32,000 a month. So that's roughly around 360,000, you know, let's round up to about 400,000 just to keep math simple. So in this case, the business has an EBITDA of a million dollars, $400,000 went to debt service. Um, technically our free cash flow is about $600,000, you know, just by looking at that's technically money we could pull out. Now, another way to test that, to test that theory is to look at cash on balance month over month and kind of test that theory, not over one month because businesses go through up and down cycle, but test that process. And we test that for our clients <clears throat> over a three to four month period or even longer six month period to validate free cash flow position. Now going towards, you know, what is, you know, how do you spend, uh, save that money again and how do you distribute money correctly? So the rule of thumb for us is a third, a third, a third. And by, you know, we're not trying to provide tax advice, but let's say you had, you know, $600,000 in free cash flow. Technically, again, you know, work with your CPA on this. Two hundred thousand dollars goes should go into a tax account, or should go towards your quarterly tax payments. Two hundred thousand a month um, should go towards that uh, allocation minimum. You know, your tax advisor may advise you less or more. Again, our opinion is going to remain, uh, remain around a third, a third, a third. The other third of that six hundred thousand, which is effectively two hundred thousand, should go into capital reserves. So again, now this business does $5 million a year. If it's able to save $200,000 a month over the course of the year, you're going to probably have $2.4 million. But that assumes that the business at $5 million is not going to grow, right? It's, it's not going to acquire another practice. It's not going to buy another piece of equipment. And you know, when you're running a business, you always have some capital expenditure in the business. So in theory, you could save up over 12 months, $2.4 million. In reality, you're going to always re reuse some of that capital to buy equipment. You might be buying another practice and then buying another practice would potentially allow you to put 20 to 40% capital down on that, on that transaction. You know, we talked about it in our previous podcast about SBA financing and uh, putting money down, not putting money down. By having additional cash reserves, it allows you to put more equity into the deal, uh, keep your leverage ratios down on an operating business. And then also on the real estate side, it allows you to put 20 to 30% down and have a conventional product versus an SBA product. So by, by putting 20%, uh, a third of your free cash flow into capital reserves, 
gives you a lot of flexibility for growth. Um, and as far as working with lending institutions, putting equity into the deals and being competitive in the space. Uh, lastly, um, the last third is just really distribution. Uh, and that might be difficult, you know, for a lot of our audience members that haven't transitioned to that very conservative, frugal lifestyle. Uh, but, you know, if you if you manage, and again, you're, you're already getting your clinical comp at 30 to 35%, depending on your profession, you might be getting an administrative salary within that business of $100,000 to $200,000. So in, in this logic of us running at a 20% business, we're assuming that our principals are getting reasonable compensation. And in that $5 million business, are probably making $300,000 to $500,000 through clinical and administrative comp. Uh, and, and that's the EBITDA after that is a million dollars. So if all those things are happening, you know, then to us, the last $200,000 available for distribution is, 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 is great. And then, you know, that extra last $200,000, you know, that can go towards a defined benefit plan, a cash balance plan, putting towards retirement, paying down your mortgage, putting, you know, funding your uh, family's 529 plan, um, vacation, all those things that are ancillary things that are nice to have on top of your normal compensation, right? So if you kind of look at that rule of thumb or third, a third, a third, it allows you to know that, you know, whatever's left in free cash flow, only a third of the free cash flow can be distributed. Um, the other uh, third is again, going towards capital reserves. And the first third, I'll say that the first third goes to Uncle Sam. That goes towards paying your federal, state, and city taxes that are outstanding. And I think that discipline, if our audience members can kind of think through that, they might be at one practices, might be a 10 practices. Um, that logic, it, it will allow you to grow exponentially. Now, it's easier said than done. And that's why, you know, when we work with our clients on the consulting side, we're putting a lot of effort on cash flow, cash flow planning, forward planning. A lot of our decision points are 12 to 18 months out um, that allow our clients to execute, you know, on a growth strategy differently. Uh, so sometimes the fruits of their labor, they can't immediately see. Uh, but, you know, if, if people stay committed to a plan, I think uh, it puts them in a very competitive position. Yeah, excellent points. And I mean, for what it's worth to the audience here, you know, our business is different from a group dental practice, certainly, but a lot of the guidance that we give our, our clients, especially in this subject matter, uh, is the way we run and the way we're choosing to build Polaris. And we're not using debt funds to, to grow our business, at least not at this point, maybe potentially in the future. Um, but certainly from a cash reserve and a cash position standpoint, we think about uh, our business uh, much the same way as we think about our clients' business. You know, as another concluding thought from me, um, we've all heard the phrase, cash is king, which, okay, fine, I, I get it. Um, I think about it a, a different way. I think about it two ways that I, I would encourage our audience to think about cash. Um, one is flexibility. Having cash reserves and a business that generates cash um, when, when keeping some cash on the sidelines creates a, a tremendous amount of flexibility um, for acquisitions and de novos, certainly, um, for overall growth strategy, uh, for reinvestment in the business potentially, um, and, and as we said before, a fallback position in the event that something goes wrong or the business takes a downturn or, or something happens. You're not at a razor thin margin. You've got a fallback position. And that's um, incredibly, it's a safety blanket, you know, it's, it's peace of mind. So 
instead of saying cash is king, I wish I could come up with something more trendy that would be more akin to cash is flexibility, um, because it really does allow you a lot of breathing room and to operate the business differently if you have the reserves to fall back on. The second way I would impress upon our audience to, to think through this is, you know, we we work in what we call the doctor-founded and debt-funded space. And what that means is that all of our clients and all of the people in our audience are entrepreneurial dentists that are using bank funds to grow. So we talk about growth strategy, we talk about execution, we talk about EBITDA generation and utilization rates and all this other stuff. But if the bank doesn't fund your growth strategy, it doesn't matter what your business is. It doesn't matter what your growth strategy is. It doesn't matter what your desires are. You're dead in the water. And so having cash reserves sends a really good signal to your lender. It, set, it sends the signal that the lender is, is not funding a business that's on razor thin margins. It also sends a signal to the lender that by them funding your business and you stripping all the cash out to, to live a lavish lifestyle, that they're indirectly funding that lifestyle. That's a, that's a really challenging position to put a bank in, candidly. And when you have cash reserves and, and a discipline around the way you use your cash, deploy your cash, spend your cash, um, especially on a personal level, that creates a healthy borrowing relationship. And a bank that says, hey, this is a savvy operator and, and somebody who's building a good business that has a lot of discipline to it. You know, and, and I feel comfortable about the relationship and the risk that the bank is taking on to, to continue that relationship. So I think, you know, for our audience, um, none of us do what we do for free. We all like driving nice cars or, you know, taking trips or, you know, sending our kids to private school or, or whatever else it may be. But uh, let 2022 be a year that we all kind of get our personal houses in order from um, a, a fixed cost and a debt burden and a, and a spending rate standpoint to not place undue burdens on the business generating cash to fund our lifestyles with no margin for error. Um, I, I think that's critically important if you're going to build a growth-oriented business. So, um, DeWalker, this has been a, a really strong episode and one that we've kind of danced around in times past, but I think putting a bow on it here and, and really um, hopefully helping the audience gain a more fundamental understanding of cash is, is critically important. I, I really appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I didn't have a whole lot of choice, truth be told, but you know that's what a partnership's all about, isn't it? So I hope everybody in the, uh, the audience got a lot out of today's episode. And if you've got questions around the way we think about EBITDA, cash, distributions, reinvestment, any of this, the topics we've touched on today, feel free to, to drop either of us an email directly. You can reach me at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com or DeWalker at DeWalker at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. And if there are um, questions that are fit for public consumption, you never know. I might read one on an upcoming episode. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show.
Well, that was certainly a tour de force as it usually is with my partner. We really appreciate DeWalker joining us on the podcast today. He's such a fountain of knowledge and a, a wealth of experience, especially in the world of banking. And I, I feel like that's his wheelhouse and, and hits it out of the park uh, every time I have him on. Before we wrap up today's show, I wanted to take a, a quick second and uh, review a couple of things uh, based on a handful of questions I've got, not ne- gotten, not necessarily off the podcast, but just in general about uh, one of the master classes we're running um, that is uh, March 10th and 11th, and it's called De Novo Execution. Um, I've talked about this a little bit, um, and we've sent a few things out um, through uh, through our marketing channels, but we always talk about growth strategy as it relates to acquiring practices. And we have a, uh, a masterclass on mergers, acquisitions, and affiliation that goes pretty deep into that. But de novo is something that I think people tend to shy away from for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, they see the upfront costs and the fact that they have to attract patient number one. Um, and it's a, a longer ramp to some level of success. The idea being that if I buy a practice, it's already got existing patients, it's got revenue, it's got EBITDA, hopefully, um, it's got staff, it's an operating business, the downside risk appears to be a lot less. In an acquisition, one of the things you do run into is what I'll call change management um, and cultural mismatches. And, and that can really create a lot of challenges uh, from an acquisition context. Obviously, in a de novo, it's your systems, it's your processes, it's your culture. It could even be your existing team that you're going to cross-pollinate with. Um, and believe it or not, DeWalker and I kind of have the uh, attitude that, uh, or the mindset that if done correctly, a de novo growth strategy has greater certainty and security around the growth process of the individual practices Um, as well as a lower overall cost basis. To do that, you have to understand site selection. And site selection is not driving around new neighborhoods and seeing where there's a housing development going up, okay? I mean, it's a lot more um, analytical, as you would understand from us, and empirical, if you will. And, you know, after site selection, it's the discipline of building out a consistent box each time, um, with a probably the same contractor and the same finished product, it is generating the marketing push to meet the budget and understand your unit metrics around cost to acquire a patient and first year uh, value of a patient in order to create break even. If you can do that, you can control a lot of the variables. And if you can control a lot of the variables, you're more apt to create success on a repeatable basis. That de novo masterclass in March will go through everything I just said in much, much greater detail. If you are considering um, the de novo approach for the next phase of growth in your business exclusively or as a complement to your um, acquisition-based strategy, I really urge you to to join us. I think it's going to be tremendous value. I think there's going to be a lot of information in it. And Honestly, um, this is this is one we've been wanting to do for a while. So I think you can probably see my uh, the excitement in my voice with it. I hope you'll join us here in Charlotte, March 10th and 11th um, for De Novo Execution Masterclass. Two days, super deep dive into that subject matter. Feel free to uh, drop me a line if you've got any questions as it relates to that. 
And of course, you can drop me a line if you got questions around anything else on today's episode or otherwise. You can always reach me uh, at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for all the ratings, the compliments, uh, and all the feedback that we get on behalf of the podcast. Um, DeWalker and I really do appreciate it. Um, and uh, it goes a, a long way. So feel free to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you got a question, feel free to submit it to me. And if you want more information, you can find it on our website at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.